Hello, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Well, we made it past the election. Actually, I'm recording this podcast the night before the election, so this gives me the opportunity to just have faith in advance that the right person was appointed. And the reason I know this is that God is on His throne right now on Monday night, November 7th, and He's going to be on His throne November 9th, the day this podcast airs. Our church had a prayer meeting for the election, and I was sitting with friends praying through the different themes that our pastor Darren was leading us through, and I prayed Proverbs 21 out loud, in the Lord's hand, the King's heart is a stream of water that He channels towards all who please Him. And then literally, like one minute later, our pastor from the platform quoted the very same verse. It's just a beautiful reminder that God is sovereign today. No matter what choice has been made by our nation, He is ruling over us with kindness and wisdom, and He is with us. And He's not going to leave us or forsake us because we are His people. So that's about as much as I'm going to say about a very difficult subject I told my manager today that my desire is that this podcast would reflect Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I'm not going to try to skirt around hard things. Trust me, I just know for sure in my own life what is wrong with our world is all around us all the time. I just want to be a part of what we can know is right about us today and what is true and pure and praiseworthy. Another scripture our pastor has quoted many times during these past few weeks is 1 Timothy 2, where it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and holiness. So when we feel a little bit hopeless about the direction our country is headed in, know that there is something we can do. And not only is there something we can do, but it's actually the best thing we can do. We can pray and intercede and bring our petition before God, and He will hear us. We can also be people of peace to everyone around us, since we are His children and we are not to fear. And when it says to live quiet lives, that word there basically means tranquil. I love that. In Hebrew, it means to be properly quiet, still, steady, or settled due to a divinely inspired inner calmness, being appropriately tranquil by not misusing or overusing words that would stir up needless friction or destructive commotion. I love that. I know many of you are just ready to move forward with our new normal whatever that may be. So I pray that today's podcast in particular is a welcomed relief as we just all move forward, trusting God that He fully has us in this moment. And I pray that it's a gentle push towards meaningful, glorious moments right in the middle of everyday life today. Can I just say a huge thank you to all of you who have purchased The Thrill of Hope and made the release of my first Christmas record amazing. I'm not exaggerating when I say that we are truly blown away by the response, and the texts and the emails and the comments have been so encouraging and have brought tears on and much celebrating in our home. So 
thank you so much. And I, I'm just excited that it's been a gift to a lot of you, as you've expressed. Amazon sold out the first day we learned, which we were shocked about. <laughs> so we quickly sent them more. And iTunes has just given us so much love by putting us on the front page for several days. And honestly, we can really tell you that all of that is kind of unexplainable apart from God himself just showing up and just being in all of it, and I mean that. So thank you if you've been a part of getting the word out for us and just really letting us know what it's meant to you because it means a lot to us when we read those things. So thank you. It's just been so sweet, and we're ever so grateful. I think the song that I've gotten the most feedback on is called Wrap This One Up, and I wanted to share a little bit deeper into the meaning of this song for a minute because I think those of you who have the record might even want to go back and give it another listen after you've kind of hear where it comes from. This one was one of the first song themes that God gave me for this record, and I remember it specifically because... I was in the bathtub when it came to me. In fact, I do a lot of deep thinking in the bathtub these days. I have found out that I'm a bath person. I discovered that in moving into our new home because I have kind of an old clawfoot tub here, which I've grown to love. It's nothing fancy. The fancy stuff, I think, comes with more problems because in Georgia, my bathtub was one of those whirlpool tubs, which they're huge and great, don't get me wrong. But I will say part of the issue was that Annie Rose was a little bit littler then, and it was definitely like her pretend Barbie public pool many nights of the week. So there's that. And the other issue was, and I wonder if many of you will laugh because you've experienced this too, but one time I turned on the jets as I was trying to relax, and all of this black stuff came shooting out of the jets while I was in the tub. And I'm probably just grossed a lot of you out. I apologize. But I guess it's some sort of like mold thing that comes out of those jets if they've been sitting there for a long time. So I started running the jets often to clean them out. But in the end, I just grew weary of the Barbie pool and stuck to showers in our old house. But here, I've enjoyed the simplicity of my old clawfoot tub here. It's super simple, although I do have one bell and whistle on it, and that's the sprayer, which I do love for my hair. But anyway, that was quite a rabbit trail, and I'm sorry, but I remember sitting in the tub probably sometime around February of this year, and I'd been studying around Jesus' birth, and I was caught up in the story and really found myself quite tender-hearted about Jesus all over again, and I thought about truly what a sacred gift He is. Of course, He has always been. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, but yet He also became flesh and humbly entered our world as a baby right in the middle of years and years of silence. And there He was, this gift. The words, wrap Him up, came to me as I was thinking through this in the tub that day. And this is a little bit of how songwriting goes. You sort of get this initial theme sometimes, and you might think it's actually one thing, but then it actually becomes another thing entirely, and that's kind of what happened here. So when these words first came to me, I pictured him as this gift being wrapped up for us, but I knew it was much deeper than that. And as I sat there, I began to sing, wrap this one up. And that's really all I had at first. And well, as the Lord is faithful to do, this began to unfold for me, like a movie in my mind, that he was wrapped at birth, but there was more to it than even that. 
I remembered some sermon notes from a message that our pastor from Atlanta, Louis Giglio, had spoken one Christmas season about the Tower of the Flock called Megdal Eider. And in the weeks following, this made me start digging around more and more for writings that had to do with Megdal Eider because I was very intrigued by it. What was it? What do we really know about it? What do scriptures say about it? Migdal Eider literally means tower of the flock. And according to Genesis 35, we know that it's where Rachel was buried. And it is called Bethlehem in this passage. And there's a lot of significance there in Genesis 35. If you dig, this is where God says to Jacob, you are no longer called Jacob, but Israel. And in the same passage, Rachel, whose name means you, as in a sheep, E-W-E, dies during childbirth, giving birth to who she names Ben-Onai, which means son of my suffering. But later we know that his father renames him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And we see the Tower of the Flock referenced in Micah 4.8, where it says, And you, O Tower of the Flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Upon further investigation, there is so much beauty surrounding all of this, of course. According to early Jewish writings, we find that sheep born anywhere in the vicinity of Bethlehem, specifically near Migdal Eider, would be for temple sacrifice. So after studying up on what a lot of theologians and scholars think on this, there's a strong evidence there from early Jewish writings and traditions of that time that the shepherds whom the angels appeared to were quite possibly the shepherds who kept watch over the sheep designated for temple sacrifice. So let's read Luke's account, which we've all read a million times. And in the same region, which we already know was Bethlehem, because the passage before tells us that that's where Mary and Joseph were headed to be registered, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. And they mean this directly to the shepherds, I believe. This will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. That's Luke 2, 1 through 20. Scholars say that Luke's audience would have immediately known the significance of the Bethlehem shepherds watching their flocks by night. Aware of the Old Testament and the Jewish temple worship of the day, they would have known that when you said Bethlehem, you meant sacrificial lambs. 
According to the Torah, two lambs were required for a daily sacrifice in the temple, meaning that 730 were needed each year, plus the tens of thousands more lambs needed for Passover and other religious rituals. Since every event in Jesus' life pointed towards his death, prophesied long before that, his birth went right in line with all of it. And when the angels instructed the shepherds, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, the shepherds immediately responded, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And in studying these things, we realized that the shepherds knew exactly where to go. There was no need for the angels to give these shepherds specific directions to the birthplace because they maybe really knew. These were the men who raised the lambs for sacrifice. According to Jewish writings, during lambing seasons, the sheep were brought to the tower of the flock from the fields throughout Bethlehem, and the lower level of the tower was used as the birthing room for sacrificial lambs. Being themselves under special rabbinical care, these priestly shepherds would strictly maintain a ceremonially clean birthing place for these lambs. Once birthed, the shepherds would routinely place the lambs in a depression of limestone rock known as the manger and would wrap the newborn lambs in swaddling clothes, preventing them from thrashing about and harming themselves until they had calmed down so that they could be inspected for the quality of being without spot or blemish. So how about that? So when the angels appeared to these Bethlehem shepherds, the imagery was all immediately there for them. They knew what the manger of Bethlehem at the tower meant, and the sacrificial lambs were laid in it, and that they were swaddled as they were inspected to be without blemish. Knowing the Old Testament through and through and understanding blood sacrifice and covenant, it's entirely possible that they understood the significance right away that this was the Lamb of God born for sacrifice. And a little side note, if you have my album, you'll hear the song Dance at Migdal Eider. With some artistic liberty, of course, this is my rendition of These Shepherds, where it says in Luke 2 that they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. And it says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. If this were a movie, of course, I imagine the Dance at Migdal Eider, which is really just an all-out jig on the record. It's my interpretation of all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. And maybe it's just a bit of a nearby village catching wind of the shepherds glorifying God and praising Him. And maybe the song starts to catch on. And people, even though they may not have fully understood the depth of the news, they knew it was good news and it was to be celebrated. And maybe, just maybe, they sang, Can you hear it calling? Mercy is falling down. Heaven rejoices this Christmas. Love is calling. Love is calling you home. Of course, that's my artistic expression at work. But I imagine, like I said, if this were a movie, only hours before the regal but raw display of this dance, with not a witness around other than Joseph and maybe some other sheep grazing around, a baby's cry breaks the silence. And just like those sacrificial lambs swaddled and inspected for perfection, a mother, as we mothers know, love to inspect every detail of our babies when they first are born, down to those tiny fingernails that we can't even believe are real. I mean, side note, 
go ahead and go listen to Angel's Lullaby on the record, too, because this is the movie reel continuing in my brain. It's the interpretation of Mary's account that night. But as she swaddles Jesus in my mind, she sings, wrap this one up. He is the one that we adore. Wrap this one up. He'll wear the crown forevermore. He's come for you and me. He'll finally set us free. Wrap this one up. He's the one. Gloria and Excelsior Steo. And then it felt like my heart almost broke in two as I began to picture our Savior, the Lamb of God, being wrapped at his burial. Again, everything in Jesus' life had pointed to this moment, going all the way to Calvary for us, becoming the curse for us, what he was born to do. I imagine now Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus as they wrapped our Savior, wrapped this one up. He is the lamb without blemish. Wrap this one up. He paid the price and it is finished. But if there's anything I wanted this record to be, I wanted it to be a response in the here and now to the greatest rescue story of all time, a way that we, here and now, echo the song still, We shout back in praise and adoration and celebration that death would have no sting. He rose in victory. Hallelujah to the King. Yes, I went there on a Christmas record. And you can't help but sing again after that part about the Savior and His death and His resurrection. Gloria in excelsis Deo. I've literally had people texting me saying, I ugly cried during Wrap This One Up. What in the world? And the sweet thing is that so many prayers were sewn into this album that it does not surprise me at all that some might have actually a visceral reaction to a song like Wrap This One Up because of the spirit in which it was written and prayed out. And by that, I mean sung out. That's why I love music so much because it touches us at our core beliefs in a way sometimes that nothing else can. This is why I'm incredibly grateful for songwriters and modern hymn writers like my guest, Matt Redmond, today. Matt has been challenging me as a songwriter even long before I met him and his wife, Beth, in May of 2000. Matt is from England and has been writing songs since he was a teenager. Even from early parts of his story that were even painful, I've heard Matt share how God really would meet him in those troubled times with a song, and it would give expression to his praise and trust in God in those moments. Eventually, some of those songs he would lead in church as he was still even growing as a songwriter, but as God would have it, those songs began to find their way into the church at large and overseas until we started hearing those songs across the sea, one of those being The Heart of Worship, which remains in my top five favorite songs of all time. And of course, there's 10,000 reasons that you'll hear us share about in my conversation around the table today with Matt Redman. Enjoy. Well, today I am getting to sit here with my friend Matt Redman. Welcome. Thank you. To the glorious and the mundane. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. So, I remember, um, just to give people a little bit of the story of maybe why we're friends. Nathan's in here, too. He's walking around. Yeah. Sorry. Pacing the room. <laughs> Never mind. He's looking nervous like he thinks I'm going to say something no. heretical or... Oh, I'm standing right behind. I'm slapping <laughs> in the back of the head. No. Um, respect. Sit up straight. <laughs> but I, I love thinking about our 
our first memories of probably getting bootleg copies, honestly, from the UK of this guy. So I mean, that's a confession, right? It is. is that, you know that's not legal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty much normal now, but it really wasn't legal back then. That's excellent. But of this guy named Matt Redman, and, and we just felt um, like we had a connection somehow with you. We're like, I don't know, this guy, I remember getting, was that first record, The Friendship and the Fear? Yeah, I did have something before that, but we don't need to go into that. I was wearing, oh. <laughs> wearing a funny little waistcoat on the cover, and I'm hoping never, no one will ever discover that. Okay. <laughs> Let's just say, yeah, that was the so, first album. <laughs> that was the first one. Yeah. But I remember even that title, The Friendship and the Fear, just caught me off guard, and I don't know, it felt like we just, I don't know, had something in common. And, of course, yeah. that's really when the worship movement in, in America was really kind of, um, I know worship's been around since the beginning of time, but yeah. it feels like that, that movement, you know, 20 years ago was really yeah. um, something special. And I, I feel think like we met you guys, was, in, was it in that big field at one day, yeah. 2000, yeah? Yeah. I think you were pregnant. Yeah. And my wife Beth was pregnant. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, it was a good moment. Yeah, it was. I remember just kind of reading about y'all our lives did connect I think for one day was that was a passion conference that we did in a field with probably I don't I don't know 15 or 20,000 college students I think it's more right? yeah, yeah. that's amazing it's just amazing but so and then you know it's just neat how I feel like that's happened with us with several different people but just like you feel this connection with someone and you feel like I feel like we're going to maybe work together someday or something I think Nathan and I both just felt like that maybe was going to happen, and and even beyond that time in one day, um, Nathan produced something for you, and yeah. um, and just have been friends ever since. I feel like, and absolutely, um, that was face. Yeah, he down, produced right? my first live thing, and yeah. it was it's the first record where I thought I actually really got to what I was aiming for. Mm. I think something about the way it captured something, mm. and. Um, and I remember Nathan's great. He's he's still here somewhere, but <laughs> he, because I was wanting to have two drummers on that record. That's right. And I like Nathan because he doesn't give he doesn't mess about. Most producers would be like, let me have a think about that. But yeah, he was like, no, that's a rubbish idea. <laughs> so in the end, he said one of them could play percussion, the other one has to play drummer, drumming. But I like he's got a lot of vision and yeah. Um, and yeah, some special days we've done a lot since. And then mm. you and I and he have toured all over the place, including. Yeah. The UK. Yeah. yeah. It's excellent. It's really special. And we were neighbors there for like a solid minute. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was good. So about three three years, right? A couple of years, yeah. Yeah, that we were in uh, north of Atlanta together. was planning, you know, Passion City Church. And yeah. we're a part of that. I think our boys uh, got in trouble together just about <laughs> enough. But <laughs> Absolutely. Not really, but... Maybe some, actually. They probably got in some trouble. But um, one of my favorite stories that I tell about you is um, being on the road once and, and you were telling me about some kind of diet that you were on. And, <laughs> and I said, really, what are you doing? And you just said, oh, it's just mainly almonds and blueberries. <laughs> and I thought, I said, really, what's blueberries? And you're like, blueberries. And I said, well, is that like a drink? I was thinking like a protein drink. It's called blueberries. Blueberries. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. You're like, no, blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Blueberries. Yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> Lost in translation. 
Well, um, so you have a Christmas record out. Yep. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But I thought, it's really exciting. And, and, you know, I feel like through the years you've had some songs, really, though, that I think women would love. I think we have a, mostly women that listen to the podcast. And I think it would just be special if, you know, if I kind of, I have a couple of titles here um, just to kind of talk about because I feel like, um, you know, stories behind those are so, so powerful. Um, and I thought maybe we'd talk about that and then we would just, we'd get into the Christmas record a little bit. But um, so one thing that I, I often repeat when I'm leading worship that you say, and I think, I don't remember if it was during Face Down that maybe you said this or if it was just, you know, around that time, but it's always stuck with me when you, you said, seeing is singing. Um, and I, do you remember saying that? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> you yes, I do. Yeah. That, Different yeah. versions of that. Yeah. yeah. Just that whole idea that, um, well, in that in worship, that sometimes we think about that just as the breathing out part. Yeah. But of course, there's the, the breathing in Taking and, and in, this, yeah. the seeing and the singing, there's revelation and response, mm-hmm. there's um, inhale and exhale. And, mm-hmm. and just what an important part of worship that is. You know, in, in scripture, you see. Um, like uh, in the book of Isaiah, you know, he's falling down saying, woe is me. And it, it's not because he decided to do that. It's because he saw something. It's because he saw the holiness of God. He encountered something so glorious that that was the reflex of his soul. Mm. And I just think it's really important because I noticed even as a worship leader, there can be a tendency. You want to G people up. You want to encourage people to mm. do something or respond in some way. And that's cool. But... Actually, you realize the more and more you get into this, the purest mm. and most beautiful form you know, of leading worship is when you present Jesus to people as well as you can, lyrically, musically, the way you lead. Mm. You just somehow, through the power of the Holy Spirit, help people capture a vision of Him. The rest of the other stuff takes care of itself, then, mm. doesn't it? You know, you can't stop people mm. bowing and shouting and dancing and yeah. whatever they're going to do in response to Him. And, and so, yeah, that's that, that's definitely a yeah. a big thought in worship, probably. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, just um, even when I have just my little worship sessions in my car, <laughs> I talk about just the old, the days of being, just driving in my minivan and um, having these times of worship with the Lord. And I feel like um, some of these songs, I bet that tons of people listening can remember times of, maybe driving in their car or sitting in a cubicle at work or, um, you know, walking on campus somewhere and having, you know, listening to these songs that you've written through the years. And, um, but I've, I've just loved that, that thought and I carry that with me because it is that um, revelation even sometimes in the smallest things during our week of like, you know, for me, I remember one time just driving in my minivan and literally um, having that sense that, he he was with me. I was tense, I remember, in the car, and I yeah. was um, worried about something. I was headed to the grocery store. I was had my to-do list a mile long, and I remember just this awareness of who he was and just that he was with me. Yeah. I really had this sense, like, he's with me right now in the yeah. car. And, and what happened was I began to lift my voice. Like, yeah. just in my car by myself, I started to just sing out, 
praises to him like you are Jesus you're this Jesus you're wonderful yeah. Jesus you're beautiful and actually it turned into a song called wonderful yeah. but um and I love that you know and I think about these songs just probably being played in minivans worldwide <laughs> um, yeah. but I we call it a people carrier you do yeah, that's right yeah yeah there you go that's something for free yeah people yeah I think carrier. you know and I like what you're saying because we're on sabbatical right now. We're having a few months, just a different pace, and I'm not really doing any traveling. And I realize, actually, um, go to so many conferences and events and things, you can almost become a bit of a spiritual adrenaline junkie, you know, where it's like you're at all these highs, you're at all these yeah. great things with amazing speakers and great bands and mm. crowd full of people, you know, room full mm. of people and big crowds. And you, I like your title about, the, you know, this whole glorious in the mundane because actually I'm having to find God in a different way right now in that kind of just everyday pace of life like you say dropping the kids at school and then doing this thing that thing and it's really good it's really good to actually um, there's a guy called Brother Lawrence who used to talk about yeah. practicing the presence of God yeah. you know like can you find God when you're washing the dishes up yeah. and in fact like, that can be a really great moment and it's always struck me that um I think definitely in our culture, even we can be so prone to um, need these highs. Yeah. But actually, the the real thing when you've really cracked it is when you can meet God in the everyday and the ordinary. Yeah, absolutely. I just think all the time, you know, about the kingdom of God being upside down, and so even lately, I've thought um, it's the small moments sometimes that are actually really big you know yeah. in the kingdom of God and so I love that and it can be those times of you know just in your minivan with your kids or your yeah. people carrier um, <laughs> with your kids yeah. but um, it's okay so I would love for you to share the story because I've heard it but I don't know if many people have about Blessed Be Your Name oh yeah I love that story of how that was written well I wrote that with Beth your good friend my yes. wife and um, actually um, that was the first song for me where I real I used to think something that comes quickly is mm. real spiritual, because I had yeah. a few songs like "There Is One Day" that just really arrived. Yeah. And I used to equate like, oh, if it's quick and easy, that must be God at work. Yeah. And the "Blessed Be Your Name" was the first one where it's a song that really seemed to fly around the place and get some momentum. But it took me months and months of just chipping mm. away and chipping away, mm. writing it, rewriting it, and and actually what happened was. Um, we had we were in England and we were just going to come on our last sabbatical, which is 15 years ago, mm. um, to California, and it was um, September uh, the 11th. Yeah. And we were all packed up in our house, and we were going to fly the next day, and then turn the TV on. And of course, this you know crazy, mm. tragic, intense events were happening at the Twin Towers, and realised pretty soon we're not going to be flying anywhere. Yeah. Tomorrow. Mm. But we ended up on one of the first flights out of England. I think we were on the 14th or 15th of September. Mm. Um, and we flew to to LA. Uh, and it was such an interesting and poignant time to be in America. Uh, a little English guy, you know, just... Yeah. We were travelling around lots of churches on a sabbatical, trying to learn from different expressions and things. And everywhere we went, we were so impressed by the preachers because they were speaking into that moment and really great, wholesome way, a lot about the sovereignty of God, a lot about God being close to the broken hearted, just some 
really good elements that people need to hear. Mm -hmm. But every church we went to, I came away thinking, where are the songs? It's like some some services feel like we're just ignoring this major event that's going on. Mm. And I suspect it's not because they want to. I think it's because they don't. We don't have the songs. We don't have a vocabulary for a, a moment like this. Yeah. And that struck me as odd because number one, because it's hugely biblical to have that kind of vocabulary. The Psalms. Yeah. Um, Eugene Peterson reckons about 70% of the content of the Psalms are lament-based or crying out to God in some way. Yeah. But also it's hugely relevant, isn't it? It's a great window onto the heart of God for people at a time mm. like that. Mm -hmm. So um, that is very much, you know, I think Best of Your Name, um, it's really a song for me and Beth that goes way, way back, even to our childhoods, mm. learning to trust God when things aren't going good yeah. we don't have all the answers but I think really the big trigger for it was was probably being in America in, the, in those mm -hmm. few months after 9-11 wow that's powerful um well I, you are one of my favorite songwriters <laughs> you're sweet well I mean I know we joke is it a lot, Nathan Knuckles this one I know as well <laughs> um, probably that Tomlin guy no you really you really are oh, you're sweet. And you're mel the melodies but the lyrics too, it's hard for me to choose. And if I had to if I had to really boil down one of my favorite worship worship songs of all time is Heart of Worship. Um but it's hard because then there's the father's song. <laughs> <laughs> um tell me about the father's song. I have okay. to say really quick that one of my top five favorite moments of all time was um us getting to sing together at Royal Albert Hall. Oh, Hall's. that's amazing. Now, a lot of Americans don't know how special that is. Yeah. But um, tell them a little bit. But just getting to hear you sing the Father's song that night in front of your people, that was, I was trying to capture it on my cell phone, but it didn't really capture it. It was, yeah, that's a great moment, it was yeah. amazing. So. Yeah, the Royal Albert Hall um, is probably my favorite, I think it is my favorite venue in the world. Mm. It's something, it's so... You've got thousands of people there, it's quite intimate still, and then it was a gift from Queen Victoria for her husband, Albert. And it's just an amazing circular mm. hall, and so much history, and, and right in the heart of London. And yeah, that night, um, you and Nathan came over, and we, I think it was like a 400-voice choir and 60-piece orchestra. And so I had that song, the father's song. Mm. I, that is one of the songs that, you know people say, like, a song landed on me. Yeah. And sometimes you think, oh, you really? You know, <laughs> that one, I, that's the only one where I really think, where on earth did that come from? Mm. Um, I remember so vividly what happened. Beth, my wife Beth was pregnant, mm. and she'd gone out to a party, which just sounds irresponsible of me, let my <laughs> pregnant wife go to a party, not even accompanying her, but I don't remember all the details. But she'd gone out, and I just picked up my guitar, and I literally just started singing out this song. Mm. And... I wasn't thinking about that theme before. I didn't ever think, oh, that'd be a good idea for a song. Mm. But just had just started singing, I was just thinking, yeah, it's kind of cool, these songs we sing to God, but actually there's a song that preceded all of them and, and actually overwhelms all of them mm. and uh, outweighs all of them, and it's his song over us. Yeah. I love in Zephaniah, mm. uh, in, the, in the Bible, uh, the little book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, the Lord rejoices over you with singing. Mm. Because that's an insane thought, isn't it, really? That he's mm -hmm. 
number one, he's a musical god. We kind of get hints of that because of the way he creates, but I love that, that he would give voice to his musicality and he'd even sing over us. Yeah. You know, and it's just a... So, so this song came out, and one reason I thought maybe this is an inspired song it's because it's got like 13 chords in it, and most of my songs only have three. <laughs> so, uh, so, and I, you know, I had no idea what any of them were called, but I was just messing about on my guitar, and um, and which is why I get Nathan to play it on piano. Yeah. Because uh, oh, I so concentrate. But anyway, that night, Albert Hall, there was, it says in the lyric of the song um, uh, about the Creator's symphony, you know, mm. so it's an amazing thing to be in that insanely wonderful hall with an orchestra and choir and mm. it was excellent it was it was beautiful i told nathan i felt like that was one night of my life i felt like cinderella like oh, yeah. walking onto that stage and we were <coughs> formal and yeah. you know it was just it was magical it, it was really wonderful well i remember when we were neighbors um in north atlanta um when nathan came up stairs y'all had been in the basement you came over and you were playing some songs for a record that was coming up that he was going to help you with. And I remember my mom and dad were there for some reason, and Nathan came up to the kitchen and he said, well, I just heard the next Blessed Be Your Name. And um, we were like, really? And I think he even told me that it was kind of one that you played towards the end, and you were kind of like, yeah, yeah. and then there's this little song. <laughs> and that little song was 10,000 Reasons, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I will forever be grateful to Nathan because... <laughs> We had, um, I was having one of my last minute panics, you know, trying to finish songs and figure out what would go on this record and he was producing it and we already had way enough songs, just trying to figure out which ones. Yeah. And then like two weeks before I was with my friend Jonas, it was 1.30am, this little village chapel we get to write in in England. And honestly, it was funny because I wanted to go home, I was tired, we'd been writing all day. Mm. And Jonas... He was like, hey, just, I just got this one little thought. It's just a tiny bit of melody. And he'd been saying to me all day, and I kept saying, hey, we've got too many songs yeah. spinning already, you know, just <laughs> chill out a bit. And, but he, he, he's not a pushy person, and so I thought, ah, oh, I'm going to break his little heart if I don't listen to this thing. So, <laughs> his little Swedish heart. So, uh, so, I, so I said, hey, mate, just play it. And as soon as he played it, we just, this, just got into this moment. This song started pouring out. And even now, when I look at, listen back to the work tape, some of the verse parts and everything was exactly as they were. And, and um, it's amazing. Yeah. So, but I, but even at that point, I enjoyed it. But we had all these songs, and for me, it was just another song in the pile. Mm. And I can be a bit like that. Like some of the songs, like Heart of Worship, I was never even going to lead that in a church. I thought it was just for me. So, mm. so I'm not the best. I need team around me. Yeah. And so I played it to Nathan kind of nervously because I thought he would think the same, like, hey, got too many songs already to stop making my job harder. Mm. But he said to me, um, I, don't, I don't care what we're dropping off the album, but that one's going on it. Mm. That was his first words out of his mouth after I played it. And I was shocked. But, um, I thought he was going to say, like, next, you know, or, <laughs> <laughs> or like, like, how do I, can I have the last three minutes of my life back? But he... He he's he just he said it really strongly and it I thought oh that's interesting, um, yeah and then we recorded it and it's been I've never had so much momentum around anything and mm -hmm. and, and do you know one thing I love is that I don't even really know why 
I mean, I didn't recognise at the time that oh, was man. maybe going to achieve more than some of the others. I, and I couldn't, definitely couldn't recreate that. And I kind of love that. It's, God's yeah. got a beautiful way of keeping us mm -hmm. dependent. And some of the stories have come out. We actually had a book yeah, that we've released um, around the song. And yeah. yeah, some of the stories are amazing. Yeah, that's what I've loved about, um, you know, the tour that we did last year, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Is that you really, it teaches me a lot because you, you really do follow up with as many people as you can. I think that, I don't know how you do it, but like on the road even, you were kind of meeting up with some of these people who were kind of, ri kind of written in about how, I don't know if it was that one song, but just how... God had been moving in their lives, and there's you know some people who were dealing with sickness, and yeah. um, and that's so beautiful to get, especially when you're a worship leader and you're you know you're bringing um, you know what God's giving you, and you're leading these people in worship in these different communities all over the place. Um, it's just beautiful to couple that with, and then you can't get to every single person that writes, yeah. but like I really have watched you go into hospitals sometimes in like local places or like having people you know get to be at the show that night or whatever yeah it's and a real so privilege sweet. to do it, isn't it I mean I think it's so funny isn't it because so often when you go into those environments you actually receive you think you're going there to bring something I remember um there was a, there's a lovely lady called Molly and she's had leukemia and she wrote to us one time and said hey I um, I bought tickets for your uh, event, but since then I've been diagnosed with leukemia, I can't come anymore, mm -hmm. but my uh, kids and my husband are going to come, and could I request a song? So with Jonas and George, we figured out where she was and said, hey, you know, maybe we could come and bring some of the tour to you, you know, and sing with you a bit. And But I tell you, we went to her house to room, you know, all gowned up and everything, and it's kind of weird playing guitar with rubber gloves on, I can yeah, tell you. Yeah. But, but actually, within about 45 seconds, I knew, okay, I'm not the worship leader in this room, it's her. You know, this just the most amazing lady with amazing heart, making the most precious choice right now. And the thing that struck me, we walked into the room and every wall of the room was filled with scripture. Yeah. And so everyone who came through, she had to write down like a, a scripture that was going to encourage her or strengthen her. And mm -hmm. so when, when she was in her toughest moments or moments of physical pain, she could look up and see the Word of God over her. And just a few other things, I thought, this lady, she's leading us in worship. I left there. You know there's that verse, I think it's in Timothy, like set an example for the believers in speech, mm -hmm. in love, in life, in faith and in purity. Mm -hmm. I thought that's what she's doing for us. She's setting us an example of what you do in a moment like this, how you still find your way mm -hmm. to the place of praise. and. And we just left that place feeling like wow. so fired up for Jesus, you know. Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I love I love some of those moments. And she's in the book, actually. And a few other um, stories in the book, including uh, these these guys. Uh, I was reading the newspaper in England one day. I was talking about these guys who um, were on death row in mm -hmm. Bali mm -hmm. for drug trafficking offences. They committed nine years before that. But... Uh, Actually, since then, they've become Christians, massively on fire for God. Mm. Still had to face this crazy con consequence, though. And, and as they were standing before the firing squad, they were seeing 10,000 reasons. Mm. And um, so when we wrote the book, we actually interviewed the pastor who was with them 
mm. she, in this whole last few weeks and she was actually with him at that moment of the execution and, and um, mm. it's just so inspiring to um, like again they, they led us when people read the book I think their lives will lead us in worship they'll set an example yeah, for us and I love it's weird, you know, with your songs, it's the same, like, the way that music will find its way around the world, yeah. and then it will find its way into the deepest places in people's mm. hearts and lives, maybe in the most intense moments of life. Mm. It's, it's really an amazing gift from God, isn't it? It is, it is. Well, we'll make sure and have a link to the book as well, because I know oh, yeah, that thanks. a lot of people want to know about that and read it. Um, so, yes, you have a Christmas record, as I said. Yeah. We both have Christmas records. We do. It's so fun. Um, it's very un-English to have a Christmas record. Is it? Yeah, no one does Why? it. Why? I don't know, but I can't think of anyone. Rain Collective, they're Irish, but they've done one. Uh, it's not really a thing. Yeah. So here everyone does it, and you've held out for a long time considering you're American. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> considering I'm American. It's excellent, and I've only heard a little bit, but your record is fantastic, the bits oh. I heard. Thank you. Love well, same here. Um, I've been able to listen to a little bit of it, and I was excited to see. Well, first of all, before we get to that, I want to yeah. just—I want—I love for you to tell me what inspired it. Well, um, as with most things that go well in my life, it was my wife's idea. Was it? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Love it. Yay! You probably could have guessed that. <laughs> and then it was seconded by Maisie, who you know, she's my daughter. That's and, great. For those of you listening, and um, Beth said to me for a while, "Hey, you've got some Christmas songs. You should do a Christmas record." And in the end, I thought, "Oh yeah, maybe that's a good idea." And then um, a really great thing happened because um, we were offered the chance to go on this retreat to Israel. Now, to tell the whole truth, again, I was holding out. I was like, "We're kind of busy," and. Mm. You know, we've got a lot going on, and we have to go. If we're going to go together, we'll get the kids all looked after for a week. Hey, you know, can we really do this? Yeah. Our friend Jonas comes around one night. Uh, he's in England for a few days. And he said, I had this, like, dream, and it was like that we were going to all go to Israel and write some songs. No and so way. Beth looked to me with that knowing look <laughs> of, like, you are wrong yet again, and I have heard God. And, uh,. <laughs> You should listen to me more often. And she's so good though, having that kind of oh, vision. She is. And, and yeah, totally. So, so we all decide we go on this retreat, and then we'll do all the tour stuff. You know, mm. learn about things, and mm -hmm. uh, and then in the evenings we'll write some songs. And and it was actually so inspiring for those of you who haven't been. Um, just something about um, walking in the same places where Jesus walked. Something about seeing place names literally everywhere you think oh i know that i read about that in the bible or or like even just the imagery everywhere you're seeing mm -hmm. physical imagery of certain sorts of plants or mm. you know um vegetables i don't know you know like just desert whatever the the whole time you're just seeing that you feel so familiar mm. and favorite moment for me was being out on the sea of galilee in a boat and uh jonas was with us and took my guitar and there's about 20 of us and we would just it was the, the still water the sun was going down mm. and we were singing Cornerstone wow. you know and it was wow. just which Jonas wrote and it was just yeah. a beautiful oh. moment um, but anyway such an inspiring place to start writing the songs mm. so a good half of them probably got a, a kick start there 
That's amazing. And, um, yeah, and I just love, it's the same for you, I know, the collaboration. Mm -hmm. This We're so much better together, aren't we? And we pull things out of each other. And what I particularly love is having friendships where you've been writing together for a decade or more. Mm -hmm. And so you know how to lean into each other's strengths. You know how, like with Jonas, I know when to sit back and because I know he's on the flow, or I know when, okay, I've got this to the best place I can, but I know he's going to have a better melody for this. Mm. And all those kind of things. So we've got Chris Tomlin on this, and Beth's on a couple of songs, writing um, Jonas, uh, a few English friends, um, uh, Jason Upton, I've never mm. written with before. He, a lovely little thing, something chipped in for a minute. And then some guests singing on it as well, yeah. who are all Tasha Cobbs, great gospel artist. Uh -huh. and, Tomlin again, and then an old friend Natasha Benningfield, who yeah, that's what I was say. is I was one excited. of my favorite vocals, and yeah. so it was really great to get her on the record. It's beautiful, yeah. I did, um, I was able, I think, to maybe could we preview that one before it yeah. came out or something? Because I do remember her, and I was really excited to see that oh, because I've cool. always loved her, and I knew that just through you guys that you know she's such a great, great yeah, she's she's lady. brought a lot to this. I'm so grateful. That's so fun, um, yes, and I just think, too, that because of your life and the weight that just that you carry as a worship leader and I think just the way that I love that it was kind of birthed out of you literally walking those places where he yeah, walked. Cool. And I mean, when I remember you, I remember seeing that maybe on Instagram or something or I just oh, yeah. knew that you were writing for Christmas and yeah. I just, I don't know, I've always, I've not gotten to go to Israel, but I really, I really, really want to sometime, but I think... I would be a pool of tears, like, yeah. <laughs> just knowing me. Um, and then there's something about the, because the whole idea of the incarnation, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. him becoming one of us. We have a lyric on the album that, um, the same blood, the same flesh, the same skin, the same breath, you became one of us. Mm -hmm. The same dust, the same dirt, the same trials, the same hurts, you became mm -hmm. one of us. And I think that lyric was birth in being there and just imagining Jesus yeah. as a little boy running around the streets or and there's another song on the record called How Far um, which I wrote with Chris Eaton who I know you guys yeah. know yeah. he actually sung at our wedding years and years ago really? and I've never written a song with him and I wrote this whole lyric um, mainly on that trip and then I've never done this before I sent him saying I don't want the lyric touched can you write a melody to this because I want it to be like a mob and carol yeah. and he sent me three weeks later he said, I woke up this morning and I knew what the melody was for that mm -hmm. song. And he sent it and I didn't hardly touch it. it was, I've hardly ever written a song like that. That's neat, but, yeah. But the whole song is it's called How Far and it's talking about um, this whole idea of journey and distance, physical distance, you know, of like, um, this is in Nazareth of Galilee. Um, uh, an angel spoke, speaks the sacred words, Mary, you will be your child, the miracle of virgin birth. And then it talks about how Mary and Joseph... Um, how far is it to Bethlehem? Mm. You know, and then and then it talks about the wise men. How far is it to Bethlehem on their journey? And then it talks about verse two's like Calvary, uh -huh. you know, and how far God has come to save us. Mm -hmm. And then the the um, um, and the end of the song is like from Bethlehem to Calvary, our mm. hearts will always follow you. So this idea of journey mm. and distance. And again, I know the whole idea for that song came probably from being in Jerusalem and being in Israel and, and um, on yeah. the ground, if you like. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I'm excited to get to hear the whole thing.
because I got my copy last night. Oh, good. Cool. <laughs> but, um, well, thank you so much for just, I know this is going to be so inspiring even to, you know, people who aren't songwriters because I think that it's, I think that they're always curious into these songs that bless them so much of just the stories. I mean, it really is yeah. the stories behind these and, and how God kind of um, weaves those you know, stories into songs and how they bless people right yeah. where they are. It's just really, really powerful. Absolutely. And so. I and I love the whole idea for me on this record um, was to not just tell the story in but to make sure that we're in the story. Yeah, I love that. Because I think sometimes with the, I've noticed with a lot of the Christmas stuff we're literally just telling the story. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. But actually there's in a, as a songwriter there's a sense of reenactment. You're telling the oral story. But then what you really want to kick in in worship is realisation. So yeah, what does that mean for me here and now? Mm-hmm. So you tell the older story, but then you say, what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. How, Or in other words, how am I in this story? What you know? Yeah. And, and that's what I've tried to do on this record. Mm-hmm. It's trying to, um, as much as possible, just usher people into the mystery and the wonder of, mm-hmm. of this thing that happened 2,000 years ago. What does that actually mean for me mm-hmm. here, today. right in my situation today? Yeah, that's beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Fun. We'll have, you know, links to all this stuff. Absolutely. This wonderful music. And maybe if we've even said some songs today that people are like, either I didn't know he wrote that or I've never heard of that. So I get a lot of people thinking I wrote songs I didn't know, so that's the bit. <laughs> Here I am to worship. Our great friend Tim Hughes wrote that. I have people once every two weeks, like, oh, I love Here I Am to Worship. Oh, I just say thank you, you these days. It, yeah. I just say, yeah. You're like, I pretty much raised like, I haven't got time to be explaining every two weeks. I just say, thank you so much. Oh, I love it. Love it, yeah. Well, thanks again, friend. And Pleasure. Just looking forward to people getting to hear this gorgeous record. Fantastic. I so hope you enjoyed hearing from a songwriter that I know you are bound to have been impacted by through the years, and maybe you didn't even know it. Now you know a little bit more about that person behind some of those songs you may have lifted up your voice to God to through the years. And as we chatted about Matt's Christmas album, These Christmas Lights, which is just beautiful, can be found on iTunes. And if you're listening on ChristyKnuckles.com, there's a direct link to it right there to iTunes, so you can pick that up for yourself today. And while you're at it, if you haven't gotten your copy of my Christmas record called The Thrill of Hope, from which you've heard stories from today, be sure to keep up with me on Instagram, at Christy Knuckles, as we finish out most of the year together on this podcast. And P.S., you're not going to want to miss next week's guest, I promise. Until then, I pray that the peace that passes all understanding would guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus this day and as we move forward as a nation that as His peace fills us, we'd be people of peace for those around us, filled with hope that we would be the glorious and the mundane for someone this week. I'll talk to you soon.